This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. Blindness is, like many things, is a condition of poverty. You get rid of poverty and the problem goes away. It's so inexpensive to fix, and yet it has the most profound difference in a person's life. It's, it could mean life or death, easily. She said, you have, you have given me divine eyes. And uh, yeah, I still get choked up thinking about it. Welcome to The Power of Sight, a three-part podcast series by Save a Canada. Almost everyone will need access to eye care services during their lifetime. SEVA, an international development organization, has restored sight of over 5 million people and helped prevent and treat visual impairment for millions more in low- and middle-income countries. But the need is enormous and growing. Unless there is significant investment, current eye care services worldwide are unlikely to cope with future needs. As in most of the countries, in Nepal also blindness is a big issue, but what I see different is the care that is provided in developed countries and support you have. We don't have that in this country. Save Canada's vision is a world in which no one is needlessly blind or visually impaired. Its donors, local program partners and staff around the world are working hard to ensure everyone, including the most marginalized people in need, women, children and people living in extreme poverty and isolation, have access to high quality care now and in the future. In this first episode, we look at why sight is at the forefront of Save Canada's mission. Inside operating rooms around the world, a simple and routine surgery is being performed that's often described as a miracle. You take the patch off and see the look on their face. It's, it's indescribable. When the bandage came off, the look on her face as she stared at her children was beautiful. The surgery restores the sight of people living with blindness and visual impairment by removing cataracts. Ophthalmologist Dr. Marty Spencer says, like gray hair, everyone develops them eventually. Everyone thinks a cataract is a film or something that grows in or over your eye. It's actually the lens in your eye. You have a lens, like a camera lens, in the eye that's obviously transparent. And throughout life, it gradually, and sometimes more quickly, but usually gradually, loses its transparency. And when that becomes to the point of interfering with the sight, we call it a cataract. Once removed, it's replaced with what's known as an intraocular lens, a clear window made of silicone or plastic, similar to a contact lens. The whole procedure takes less than 15 minutes. It's common and readily available in much of the world, but not in low- and middle-income countries, which account for 90% of the world's blindness. Save Canada's Dr. Ken Bassett offers this reason. Well, blindness is, like many things, is a condition of poverty. You get rid of poverty and and this problem goes away. If you're poor, you don't have health services, you don't have adequate nutrition, you have poor hygiene, public health. There's a number of infectious conditions. The trachoma is an example where it's a condition of poor sanitation, poor uh, water supply, and therefore poor facial cleanliness where you get these infections and reinfections from eyes, of, of your eyes from flies. And once that public health area is improved, then infectious diseases go down. 
Four out of every five people who are blind could see today if they had access to eye care, including surgery, glasses, and medicines to treat infections and other conditions that affect sight and lead to blindness. Save a Canada has been working to end treatable blindness and visual impairment in some of the poorest countries of Southeast Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa since 1982, training doctors and supporting eye care programs to reach those in need. Penny Lyons is the executive director. Our goal is to reach those who need it most. And those are the most marginalized, the poorest, the least educated, those with the least capacity to survive if they don't have their sight. Those are the ones we want to reach the most. And survival is often critically tied to the ability to see for the young and the old. And you can't have a granny who's blind. I mean, that, could, that can topple an entire family just by having granny blind because someone has to stay home and look after her. She can't contribute to the family. She can't grow the wheat or pick the berries or, or anything. She stays home and someone has to stay home and look after her. So getting the grannies and the grandpas in is, is just as important as the teenagers or the babies. The story of Seva goes back to the 1970s when a group of spiritually minded young people from Canada and the U.S. joined the World Health Organization's effort to end smallpox in India. When the disease was eradicated in 1980, they sought a new challenge and turned their attention to blindness. They were inspired by an ophthalmologist from India who transformed eye care in that country by establishing hospitals dedicated to providing high-quality, low-cost service to all. Some of the original people were ophthalmologists and saw a need that was easily remedied, relatively easily remedied, and so that's why they decided to focus on sight and sight alone. And they chose to call their group Seva. Seva is a Sanskrit word meaning selfless service, and, and that's exactly what it means. Is Seva's mission is to restore sight and prevent blindness in low- and middle-income countries. In earlier years, eye camps would be set up in remote communities. Vancouver Island ophthalmologist and Save a Canada board member Dr. Marty Spencer is still moved by what he witnessed while training local doctors. This woman lived 10 days walk away from the eye camp and she was blind in both eyes from cataracts. And she had uh, delivered her baby two years before and she had never seen her two-year-old son and her husband led her 10-day walk to the eye camp. I operated on both her eyes. I actually got a, a picture of her uh, with her hand on her child's head. And uh, and they asked her, you know, what things? She said, you have, you have given me divine eyes. And uh, yeah, I still get choked up thinking about her. The eye care supported by Seva Canada is of the highest quality. In India, Aravind Eye Care Systems is a partner and a particular success story. Some of the places, for example, Aravind Eye Hospital in South India, one of our first program partners, has gone from being an 11-bed hospital in the, in the house of the founder to this vast complex that's 18 separate hospitals, and they're extremely sophisticated. You'll find just as sophisticated work done there as anywhere in the, in the West. Tulsaraj Ravala is the Director of Operations at Aravind Eye Care Systems. When someone supports Seva, what they are really making happen is uh, touching lives in a way that they really may not comprehend. He tells the story of a woman blind in both eyes 
who was deserted by her husband after the birth of their third child. She didn't realize her sight could be restored until she came to an eye camp. And uh, she, when she got into our system, we operated her and then even when she was with us, she started seeing very well. She saw the children. She, so th then I think it was a joyful moment and at the same time a very sorrow moment. You know, she really said, I wish I had known this you know, five years back. Save Canada's focus today is on creating eye care programs that sustain themselves financially and operationally, now and in the future, training local eye care professionals and support staff, conducting research and providing supplies and equipment are all part of their mission to provide communities with access to high quality eye care. The method of delivering care has changed over the years. Ken Bassett is Save Canada's program director. The goal of, of almost all these programs was to move from that model, where it was uh, using remote surgical eye camps, what we called them, to bringing those people to hospital when we could. Because we always knew that the first thing you do for populations and in the remote areas and in the early days, it was a lot of eye camps. But gradually we built up the capacity to find these people and transport them to a district level hospital at least. And, and to do surgery in a hospital facility when we could. The cost of performing cataract surgery to restore sight in just one eye can run into the hundreds and even thousands of dollars in North America, but in low and middle income countries, it can be done for much less. At the basic level, you could do a cataract surgery for $50. Now there's a lot of support and instrumentation and things around that often, but at the most basic level to take a cataract, out and put an intraocular lens in, in a low income country, is about 50 bucks. And that includes the cost of travel from remote communities to eye care centers or eye hospitals. There's often no transportation if there's, and there's very little money for travel. There's very little support for travel. And then there may be less access to services in that area. So they may have to go a long way. And often with a person accompanying them, they uh, missing a day's wages. And therefore, is a problem or child care for the children left behind. All of those are just huge barriers that we wouldn't think of here. So save Canada employs another way of making eye care available to those who can least afford it, by supporting programs whereby those who can afford to pay for care subsidize the cost for those who are too poor to pay. The service that we're giving is, is not second rate. In fact, one of the tenets of Save's programs is to try to make them self-sustainable. And the way you can do that is you do work that's good enough that people who would normally go to the, the capital city or something to get their surgery We'll have it done there and you can charge them extra and that money goes for the poor. Without quality eye care, the consequences can be devastating for families in low and middle income countries. The Indians have an expression, a blind person is a mouse with no hands. I mean, they're a liability, they just can't survive. So their last chance is to come to this eye camp and see if they can get their sight restored and seeing their faces afterwards is, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Dr. Levi Kandeki is the leading ophthalmologist in Burundi, one of the poorest countries in Africa. He says blindness can even affect life expectancy as families struggle to provide. This is not only in Burundi. In all developing countries, it has been proved that life expectancy for a blind child is five years, not more than that. 
even for the adults, when they get blind, life expectancy is reduced compared to the people the same age with the vision. Dr. Levy Kendecki has revolutionized eye care in his country. He set up a private surgical center in Burundi's capital, using some of the revenue to help those who are unable to pay. And with the assistance from Save a Canada and his own money, he built four self-sustaining community eye centers in remote areas, ensuring quality eye care for thousands of the very poor, especially children whose families can't afford it. For Dr. Levy Kendecki, it's been the fulfillment of a goal he set for himself in childhood. When I was a little boy in a primary school, I had a vision problem myself and I really struggled in the school. I was lucky because I had a very good teacher. She noticed that I wanted all the time to go very close to the board. And then she asked my mother to, to, to send me to see an ophthalmologist. We went to see an ophthalmologist and they realized I, really, I had a very high, I was a very high myopic and my vision was very low. So when I got the glasses, my vision improved and also my score and my marking class improved. Then I realized how a very small glasses costing less than $10 can change our child destiny. And from that time I said, this is what I want to do. I remember I was saying to my mother that uh, I want also to help kids to go and get a nice vision when they go to school. And it started when I was seven years old. From that time I knew I was going to be an ophthalmologist. An estimated two million children around the world live with blindness, and 30 million live with moderate to severe visual impairment. Most of their vision problems can be corrected with an eye exam and glasses. Connections between the eye and the brain develop rapidly in infancy and early childhood. Without treatment by the age of six, visual impairment can become lifelong. That's why pediatric programs funded by Save a Canada start by reaching out to poor and remote communities, supporting teams of village members who go door to door to identify children in need. The teams arrange surgery for those who need it and provide families with transportation, a place to stay, and food. Parami Dakwa is a program manager at Seva's office in Nepal, and she says until recently, eye care in Nepal relied almost entirely on non-governmental organizations and support from Seva Canada. As in most of the countries in Nepal, also blindness is a big issue. But what I see different is the care that is provided in developed countries and support you have we don't have that in this country so if you're a blind like there's um, even to go to education uh, work everything is so very difficult and then it's not only the blind people but also your family members have to spend time with you for her helping to eliminate blindness is personal when Paramidakwa's brother was six years old, he developed a tumor that was slowly robbing him of his eyesight. But an operation saved it. So I'm very thankful to Seva. So I feel that I'm a recipient of Seva's service because Seva has helped my brother to at least save his uh, vision. So his life, I cannot imagine his life without that vision that he has now. Like if he has been blind, it would have been so tough for my whole family. And uh, now he's married. 
he has a normal life. So I thank Seva a lot. Blindness in childhood can lead to low self-esteem, limited success at school, fewer opportunities, and greater dependency on families, which are often pushed deeper into poverty as a result. Treating children is more challenging than adults, often requiring general anesthesia, expensive equipment, and greater follow-up. But providing the necessary care gains them an average of 50 years of sight. Seva Canada's executive director, Penny Lyons, underscores not only the importance of restoring eyesight, but also reaching those in need in remote communities. It's so inexpensive to fix, and yet it has the most profound difference in a person's life. It's, it could mean life or death, it, easily. And it's, it's just so easy. I find it profoundly sad that there's still so many people who are blind when they truly do not have to be. With a little organization's money and will, anybody with cataract could see. Through its international efforts in South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa, Save Canada has already helped to restore sight and prevent blindness for millions of people. But the need continues to grow. Well, the need is actually getting larger because as people age, they tend to develop more cataract. So the good thing is we see fewer young people, children and young adults who need cataract surgery because in the places where we work, we, we've got a good program and so they're getting treated earlier. But as the population ages, there'll be more and more cataracts and more and more cataract surgery needed. Worldwide, over a billion people live with vision loss. Most of them live in low- and middle-income countries where access to care is limited. By 2050, vision loss will increase by 600 million people as the global population ages and grows. But actually reaching those who are blind and telling them that they can be helped isn't as simple as it may seem. Learn more about the power of sight at seva.ca. Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 105.9 The Region. Squamish, British Columbia. Nestled between Vancouver and Whistler along the Sea to Sky Corridor is one of North America's most scenic coastal destinations. Its spectacular 360-degree views range from snow-capped mountains to glacial lakes to old-growth forests to the turquoise waters of the Howe Sound Fjord. Are you ready? Squamish is also home to the Constellation Music Festival. Welcome to the Constellation Music Festival! Hi, I'm Sarah McLaughlin. The Squamish Constellation Music Festival is a mind-blowing, heart-opening experience of music, art, and community. I can't wait to see you there. This is their story. Nestled at the top of Howe Sound, against the stunning backdrop of the Squamish Chief and a wall of evergreens, you'll find Hendrickson Field, the magical location for Squamish's preeminent cultural celebration, which returns this year with 33 artists. 
The first Constellation Music Festival debuted in 2019, created and driven by the passion and expertise of partners and co-founders Tamara Stanners, Kirsten Andrews, and Patricia Heinzman. To get it to the point of opening and then to be standing there and seeing the joy on the people's faces as they're watching this incredible, beautiful, magical musical extravaganza, it was like, I cannot believe we actually pulled this off. Tamara Stanners, award-winning broadcaster and co-founder of the festival. Constellation Festival is a passion project for Tamara, Patty, and myself. And the fact that we're three women running this company and learning as we go in a industry that is dominated by men is a feat in itself. Music industry veteran and festival co-founder, Kirsten Andrews. Tamara and I had been talking about these idea of how do we promote culture and music and art in the community for so long. And I feel like with Kirsten and Tamara and I, it was just kismet. It was sort of all the planets aligning to deliver something that's really uniquely Squamish, uh, that's right size, that has the community at the heart of it, and also is very altruistic in terms of our mandate of promoting young emerging art showcasing them with fantastic international stars. And we really want to create something special. And I know this is up to the heart of what Kirsten and Tamara envisioned when they started this out. Co-owner and former mayor of Squamish, Patricia Heinzman. I'm candy. I'm sweet. Canadian singer-songwriter Serena Ryder headlined the first festival in 2019, along with Finnish-Canadian singer-songwriter and guitar virtuoso. Afi Uvernan, known as Bahamas. I know the music just forgot about me. Not cool anymore. The journey to that moment under the stars and in front of thousands was challenging. Not cool anymore. With the inaugural festival accomplished and the innovative experience of music, art, and community combined, with an innovative, sustainable footprint realized, plans began for the next festival. Then, the pandemic hit. Sweeping new restrictions are coming into force. Starting today, the entire province is being told not to meet with anyone outside their household. All community events are suspended. Enforcement of public health orders is being stepped up. And the province's top doctor is urging people to stop non-essential travel. I think it definitely made us more appreciative of what we were building and it pointed to us that we were on the right track because the thing that we all lost the most collectively in the pandemic was that connection to one another. You know, not only were you not seeing your family and your friends and and spending time with them out of the house or in your home, but when you did interact with people, it's been through masks, it's been through Zoom, there's been a real loss of personal connection. And while we're not through it fully yet, we feel that the opportunity to bring people together outside in a, you know, relatively speaking, very safe environment and give them that with the backdrop or, or the foundation of musical experience and the experience of art um, is all about connection. The strength of the Squamish Constellation Music Festival is driven by an inspired team led by its female-powered executive. The fact that we have a lot of women, it's not just the three of us. Many of our major sort of managerial roles are, are filled by women too. And that was partly by design and partly by happenstance as well. We just happen to find amazingly talented women to fill these roles. And we have a phenomenal team that just happen to be predominantly women. That brings that nurturing. We want to take care of people. 
We want to do things right. We want to take care of the planet. We have a very pro-green mandate. We, we were uh, BC, maybe even Canada's first zero waste festival, you know, significantly sized festival. And we want to improve on that. We want to make sure our neighbors, the neighborhood around the festival grounds feel safe and taken care of and heard. And we do a lot to try to make sure we're engaging with them so that they have a positive experience during the festival. We want to make sure people aren't in our river, uh, riparian areas near our rivers, um, and they're respecting these phenomenal waterways that nurture the whole valley of Squamish. So that's very much a part of our mandate. We, you know, we're providing buses to Vancouver so people don't have to drive. We have a free shuttle that circulates throughout the community so people just can get on and off for free and don't have to drive a car to the festival. We have a massive bike ballet. Well over a thousand bikes will be in this bike ballet. So we want people to ride their bike there, to walk there. That's part of your journey and part of your experience at Constellation is we're trying to do things with everyone at the center of our decisions and the future at the center of our decisions. So. I think that goes back to sort of our nurturing and our, our need to make sure we're um, adding so much extra value, whether it's the aesthetic of the event or the foundational you know, philosophy of the event is really grounded in our female qualities. This year, this remarkable music festival returns. I think the thing that I'm looking forward to the most at this year's festival is really just seeing everybody face to face and in the sunshine and you know with smiles on their faces and bare feet in the grass if they choose and you know dancing under the stars after a long day in the sun and just being in community with one another and that that's our Squamish community it's our you know our close-knit community our festival community but it's also the wider community of all of our guests that come in from all around the lower mainland and Whistler and um, Alberta you know, hopefully further, further afoot, but it's, um, it's just that experience of losing track of time and knowing that for three days you can be carefree and all your needs are being taken care of and met. Um, we've got, you know, incredible vendors that are going to be on site with such a wide range of food and, and, um, beverages and opportunities for you know guests to express themselves whether it's through painting or making things and and just experiencing that oneness because ultimately that's what constellation is you know we're all stars shining on our own but together we are a constellation and we are a community I'm looking forward to it this year's festival, that unknown thing. Like we don't even know what it's going to be because as much as we do all the planning, you know, put everything together with all of these incredible components and, and, and to make it really safe and beautiful and all the best artists, the crowd brings it. They bring the energy. They bring their fancy festival outfits. Like we don't even, we had astronauts in 2019. It was just, it's so incredible. Like we legitimately cannot prepare for the magic that they bring. And I'm super excited about that. For us, having Sarah McLaughlin sign on first was life-changing. I love the opportunity to play outside and I'm so thrilled to be able to be back on stage making music again. And it's wonderful to be able to play in my own backyard. Uh, Squamish has become a second home for me. I spend a lot of time there. It's one of the most beautiful, magical places in the world. And I'm thrilled to be able to have that incredible backdrop as a place that I get to play. Very excited to come. And 
when the Black Pumas were nominated again for two Grammy Awards, we're like, are you kidding me? Like, we already had them signed, and there they were getting Grammy nominations, and they're playing in Squamish. And William Prince, he's just exceptional. One of the finest songwriters in Canada, and that we get to have him on the stage, an Indigenous leader, and also incredible songwriter and singer. We're just so lucky. And to be able to watch an artist like Jessia, who we actually had playing on a stage in Brackendale for like 75 people, catapult into the, like, shall I say, the atmosphere where the stars are, and to play at the Constellation Festival after winning a Juno, I mean, that to us is everything. It's, it's what we've always dreamed of, is being able to showcase these stars as they rise. Squamish, British Columbia, home to the Constellation Music Festival, held on the traditional territory of the Squamish Nation. Music, artisans, community, and responsible sustainability combine to create a truly unique experience. Discover more at constellationfest.ca. If somebody hasn't been to the Constellation Fest and it is their first time, I think immediately what they'll notice is that there is a nurturing vibe as mothers like i mean both kirsten and i have kids patty is like the mother of squamish so that's hard it's a very big job but she does it very well we care deeply about making sure everybody just feels good and i think immediately that's what happens at constellation fest discovery the radio show for podcasters exclusive to 105.9 the region expand your audience and extend your reach Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.